This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. In the ancient Chinese collection of koans called the Book of Serenity, Case 52 is called Sao Shan's Reality Body, Dharmakaya. This is today's story. The introduction to this case goes like this. Those with wisdom can understand by means of metaphors. But if you come to the place where there's no possibility of comparison, then how will you express it to others? So we're going to talk about and hear about the reality body, the Dharmakaya of the Buddhas. And uh, really, it's beyond comparison. And yet, this um, Zen story has a whole bunch of metaphors. It's really kind of a, a metaphor koan. It's a bunch of Zen ancestors trying to express something about the Dharmakaya the reality body of Buddhas and the workings of this reality body through metaphors. So from the beginning, I can offer a disclaimer that none of these metaphors quite reach the pure Dharmakaya. And yet it's time for a Dharma talk. So we have to use words. Please excuse me. And here's the story. I'll just read through it and then uh, you can elaborate with more words about it and, and discuss it. So one of the great Zen ancestors, Sao Shan, once said to Elder De, Buddha's true reality body, Dharmakaya, is like empty space. It manifests appearances in response to beings like the moon reflected in the water. How do you express the principle of response, Elder De? And De said, it's like a donkey peeking into a well. And Saoshan said, that's well said, but you only said 80% of it. And Dua said, how would you say it, teacher? Saoshan said, it's like the well peeking at the donkey. So this is a story about the Buddha's true reality body. In Sanskrit, we call it the Dharmakaya. What can we 
saying about the Dharmakaya, knowing that our words don't reach it. It is boundless, timeless, indestructible, now, this very now we all share, the now that's not changing, the now that has no location, the now that allows everything to appear. Timeless now, locationless now. This is the reality of Buddha. We can't lose it. We can't get a hold of it. We can't get rid of it. We can distract ourselves from it with thoughts of past and future, but even they can't really hide the awesome ordinariness of now. And this now, the Buddha's true reality body is so kind to us. It's so beneficent. It is nothing but radiant compassion and love impartially for all beings. Is it not? So this is the true reality body of the Buddha, the Dharmakaya. But uh, that's not the whole story to Buddha. This now that we really can't get a hold of and, um, doesn't look like anything. It doesn't sound like anything. It doesn't taste like anything. It doesn't smell like anything. It doesn't feel like anything. And doesn't, can't be conceived as anything. which makes it a little bit um, hard to relate to. It can manifest as appearances in form, in response to beings, to benefit beings, so that we can relate to it a little bit more. It's already helping us. And sometimes we know that, I think we all know how now is, uh, is helping us when we're in touch with it. It's kind of like it, things are pretty much okay when we're, when we are, are now. But uh, because it's so intangible, it offers these form bodies to relate to, for us sentient beings to relate to. Form bodies, they're sometimes called. Rupakaya, I mean form bodies. They, they appear. This Dharmakaya can appear in order to help us. We could call these form bodies uh, response bodies. The response body of the Buddha is that which appears in order to help beings in response to the call of 
living beings. In the, in the great vehicle sutras, the teachings of the Buddha, there's a sutra called Unraveling the Deep Intent of the Buddha. In Sanskrit, Sandhi Nirmochana. And in this scripture, the Buddha says, a form body or a transformation body. In Sanskrit, we say nirmanakaya. This kind of body that can appear. A nirmanakaya comes forth from Buddha's dharmakaya. A manifestation body, a transformation body comes forth from the Buddha's reality body due to intensely observing Buddha. And because a Nirmanakaya is the blessing of the Buddhas, I think this is this word, Adhisthana in Sanskrit, means like blessings, it's like, uh, like the radiance of Buddha coming forth um, to touch us and help us. It's naturally these blessings of, of the reality body are flowing forth. Uh, so they are, they are needed for us to kind of relate to the Buddha, but also it needs uh, us to intensely observe the Buddha. There needs to be some request for the Buddha's response to come forth. So one of my teachers said, the dharmakaya, the reality body, is kind of like the power source of Buddha. And uh, we need, so obviously we need the power source. That's kind of the main thing for this process to work. But also we need um, aspirations made on the bodhisattva path, like wishes to, to, be Buddha and to meet Buddha and to, and to benefit beings. It's like our Bodhisattva vows made over a long time actually bring forth the Dharmakaya. So we need this power source of the Dharmakaya, we need these aspirations, and we need the minds of sentient beings for the uh, reality body to manifest. It needs like a location to manifest. That's what we kind of mean by manifest. Is it needs to appear in a particular location. And this location that's needed, all, all, the only location that's needed is the mind of a sentient being. So with these three conditions, the reality body is the kind of power source, these aspirations to benefit beings, um, made on the path to Buddhahood and the minds of sentient beings. When these three conditions are present, then the reality body manifests as an appearance like the moon reflected in the water. Doesn't it seem strange that, that this reality body that's like space can respond to beings? Like how can space respond? So it needs some kind of like, uh, on the part of the sentient being, the mind of the sentient being, maybe we could qualify it a little bit too and say, it needs a mind of a sentient being that is open, that, uh, that is, you could say, wants to meet the Buddha, uh, but 
if that seems already too much, it's just open to meeting Buddha. We need, we need an open mind on the part of the sentient being and then the Buddha's response and the power source uh, meets that openness. So the original story says, the Buddha's reality body is like space and yet it manifests appearances in response to beings. You could say, like the moon reflected in water, the story says. So in this, these are a bunch of metaphors, right? Um, as the introduction said, uh, those with wisdom can understand by means of metaphors. The Buddha used a lot of metaphors. This moon reflected in water is a, is a common one um, throughout the all of Buddha Dharma, especially in Zen. Dogen Zenji, our founder, loved this metaphor. We could say that the that the water is like us sentient beings. Particularly, we could say um, it's like moment to moment experience of a sentient being that's happening is like the water. So like this body is like the water, this, uh, this present feeling is like the water, the perception of the moment is like the water, our, our habit patterns are like water, our sentient being consciousness is like water. And, uh, and then the moon of Buddha's reality body can shine in this water. And in a way, we could say it's always shining, but to, but to uh, appreciate this manifesting appearance of the moon of Buddha reflected in the water of this thought, in the water of this feeling, in the water of this perception, it helps to uh, like calm the water so that the moon is reflected um, clearly, if the water is really wavy, then the moon just looks like a little bit of light, maybe, but we can't really tell that it's a moon. But if the water is calm and still, uh, then we can see the clarity of the full moon radiantly appearing in this present experience, this present puddle of experience. And how do we make the water still and, and uh, calm so that the moon can reflect clearly? Just calming ourselves. But, but particularly, I think that openness, we can even be having a chaotic experience. It's not gonna calm down, but are we open to Buddha? Are we open to Buddha? If we are, then I would say metaphorically, this is like calming the water so that the reality body can shine in it. This openness, like a practice. If we're closed, if we're not open to Buddha, we just want to like indulge the chaos, forget about Buddha, then uh, it's going to be hard to see the Buddha. But if we're open, it can still be chaotic. But uh, it's a readiness and a willingness and openness. I think that's the main um, uh, condition for the moon of Buddha's reality body to shine clearly in the water of this present experience. So the, the, uh, this reality body, it's like space, it manifests appearances in response to beings. It responds to openness. Buddha's reality body um, appears 
in this present experience due to uh, us being open to that appearance. That's almost like our call to the Buddha, our request to the Buddha is just our openness. That's how it seems to me today. When we're open, then uh, the water calms and there's the moon already present. This story is about Sao Zhan to uh, introduce uh, this wonderful ancestor, Sao Zhan. He is one of the main disciples of Dung Zhan, also one of our great ancestors. Sao Zhan and Dung Zhan in Japanese are Sozan and Tozan. And their names are, form the name of our lineage, the Soto lineage. It's the Sozan, Tozan lineage. It's the Saoshan, Dungshan lineage of Zen. These teachers lived in China and in ninth century and uh, their stream of understanding and their stream of metaphors uh, comes to us through the Japanese teacher Dogen Zenji and Suzuki Roshi and Kobenchino Roshi and so on. So uh, Saoshan, the hero of today's story, is the So of Sotozen. And uh, he's actually, uh, apparently, he, uh, he had various other names too. After he left um, Dungshan, he um, visited the Six Ancestors Temple, which is called Saoshi, Sao Creek. And he was so struck by um, the teachings of the six ancestor. And maybe when he was there, he was struck by the beauty of the temple. And Sao Creek, that he, uh, then everywhere he went to kind of set up a, a Zen temple, he always named the mountain Saoshan after Sao Shi. He named it Sao Mountain after Sao Creek of the Sixth Ancestor. Which means that actually we could call our Soto lineage the Sixth Ancestor Huinong and Dongshan school. Because it's the same So of Soke or, or um, Sao Shi and Sao Shan. And actually Sao Shan his particular, his particular lineage after Dogen eventually died out. So our lineage doesn't actually come through Saoshan, it comes through Dungshan and Saoshan's Dharma brother. So for that reason, I, I like to say that our Soto school is named after the sixth ancestor, who is definitely one of our root ancestors in Dungshan. And others say that too. Anyway, Sao Shan practiced with Dung Shan for quite some years. They had many conversations. And uh, when Sao Shan was finally leaving his teacher, Dung Shan, just as he was leaving the temple, he put on his traveling hat, picked up his staff, and uh, Dung Shan, his teacher, said to him, Where are you going? And Saoshan said, I'm going to the place that never changes.
And Dungshan asked, well, if the place is unchanging, then how can you go? And Saoshan said, going itself is unchanging. And Dungshan approved and let him go. Seems that this story is a little bit related to this later story of Saoshan having a conversation with maybe one of his students. I'm going to the place that doesn't change. Well, how is, but how can you go? Because going is like changing. How can you go to the place that never changes? And Samshan said, going itself is unchanging. Some relationship between uh, the place that never changes is another name for the Buddha's true reality body, the Dhammakaya. But it can appear and manifest in response to beings as picking up one's traveling staff and walking into the mountains to um, offer something to some other people somewhere else. Could be like that. So uh, to go through the, the story at hand a little bit more slowly here. Saoshan said to Elder De, which it doesn't say so, but it maybe is one of his students or maybe a Dharma brother. They're both, but they both call each other teacher. Uh, he said, Saoshan said, Buddha's true Dharmakaya, reality body, is like empty space. It manifests appearances in response to beings like the moon reflected in the water. Apparently that whole phrase is a quote from the Golden Light Sutra, some ancient version of the Sutra. So, they're exploring this teaching from the scriptures. Like, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful saying, but how can we understand it? Saoshan quotes the sutra. Buddha's true dharmakaya, true reality body is like empty space. It's a metaphor. Pretty good. Isn't now like empty space? that now has no boundaries like space, now is actually timeless like space, now is ungraspable like space, now is invisible like space, now allows everything to appear within it. I appreciate the metaphor of space here, the Dharmakaya. Empty of any graspable handholds or footholds or eye holds or ear holds, nose holds, tongue holds. Space doesn't have any of that. And yet, who could deny? that this is now. It's not just nothing. Now. Buddha's true reality body is like empty space. And it manifests appearances in response to beings like the moon reflected in the water. 
It's another, it's like space and it's like the moon reflected in the water. So I'd have two metaphors going here. I, I kind of see it like the, the bright full moon is just another metaphor for the Dharmakaya. Sometimes we can, it helps to um, hear that it's like space, totally ungraspable. And sometimes it helps to hear that it's bright and serene and um, radiant and yet cool. Right in the middle of space. Moonlight is, is cool, kind of light, serene luminescence, full moonlight, and it responds like this moon reflected in the water. And you could say this metaphor is helping us open to how we, we can't actually um, get a hold of the full moon itself, but we can see its reflections in the water. Kind of imagining that we can't even see it in the sky, maybe is an implication of the metaphor. Really, we're, it, um, it meets us sentient beings, us water beings, um, as a reflection. The reflection is one with us. And yet, it's just a reflection of the moon. It's just an appearance of the moon on our water. And as I mentioned earlier, we could say I and you, each of us is, is, a, is a pool of water. Or we could say, maybe more specifically, maybe it helps to be more specific and say, each experience we're having is a unique puddle of water, a unique drop of water. Feeling of like tension in the body is a, is a pool of water. And can we, can we be open to the Buddhist reality body shining in this feeling of tension? This thought is a pool of water. Can we be open to the Buddha's reality body appearing as a reflection in this thought, uh, one with this thought, inseparable from this thought, the actual Dharmakaya appearing reflected in this thought in all its brightness, its serene brightness. So, Sao Zhan asks his friend, Buddha's true Dharmakaya is like empty space and it manifests appearances, like what appears to be form in response to beings, like the moon reflected in the water. So that's the, that's the quote. Now, Elder De, my good friend, let's try to um, let's try to express this in our own unique ways. This sutra quote. So, Sajan says, "Well, how do you, Elder De, express the principle of response? We're exploring how the Dharmakaya responds to beings." In these, in these response bodies, these appearance bodies. That's, that's the question, that's the heart of this story. How do you express this principle of response? And uh, the comments on this um, on the story, one song, another Zen ancestor that in, in, uh, in this Soto lineage in China that lived centuries after Dongshan, Zhaoshan. Um, he collected, well, actually, there was already a collection of these stories, but he kind of commented on them and wrote little verses on each line. And, uh, and he, um, 
use these verses to um, comment, like the style of these koan collections is, is a little verse comment on every line. And interestingly, the comments he used here are Saoshan's comments from some other from some other talk of Saoshan. Quite dynamic what these ancestors were doing there. He kind of knew Saoshan's teachings, so he pulled out some other lines, seemingly unrelated lines of Saoshan to comment on this first part of the, uh, of the koan. So, Buddha's true reality body is like space. Is the, the commentator's comment, it's actually Saoshan's comment, and it is officially not even a needle is admitted. And that's kind of how the Dharmakaya, like space is officially not the tiniest graspable um, appearance is allowed in, in the Dharmakaya. The Dharmakaya is ungraspable. If, if you say, well, can't, can't this space include a, like just an atom of something graspable? No, officially. Officially, or another translation is like um, publicly. So when we're talking about the Dharmakaya, officially, not even a needle is admitted. I think they're just saying a tiny thing. And then commenting on the line, it manifests appearances in response to being. The comment of Saoshan, it gets added in here, privately even a horse and carriage are let through. This is talk, we're talking about the Dharmakaya, Buddha's reality body. Officially, not even a needle is admitted, but privately, personally, intimately, even a horse and carriage can come through this gate. That's kind of these two sides of Buddha, Buddha's reality body, officially, publicly, strictly speaking, not even a needle is admitted, but kind of unofficially, privately, intimately. Okay, actually, not only, not only you are admitted, but you could bring your whole horse and buggy right through the gate here, actually, into the house. All of it can come through, but, but, but um, you know, stay, stay kind of quiet about this here because officially not even a needle is admitted. This is how the Zen ancestors sometimes talked and how wonderful that, that uh, one song, the commentator used Saoshan's own verse from some other place to, um, bring out these two sides of the story. It's like space and yet it responds intimately in every experience. Then um, Sarashan asks his friend, well, how do you express the principle of response? You just heard these nice metaphors. Namakaya is like space. It's like the moon reflected in the water when it responds to beings. How do you how would you say it? Oh, can you offer another metaphor? Because those with wisdom can understand by means of metaphors. So Elder Dina says, kind of creatively and wonderfully, it's like a donkey looking into a well. Maybe more accurately, peeping. This character means like kind of peeping into a well. You can imagine maybe a, uh, a donkey, which I think is, I think in many cultures is, is a, represents a, a little bit of like a dull, <laughs> clumsy kind of creature compared to a majestic horse. So just an ordinary, a little bit dull, clumsy creature, like a donkey, um, how, how is how is this donkey going to meet 
the Buddha's reality body, it kind of wants, it's eating some grass and it wanders up to a well in the ground and basically like this hole in the ground. And it kind of like sticks its donkey neck out over the well and looking down into the damp darkness musty smell down, down to the deep, dark well of Dharmakaya. The deep, dark Dharmakaya well. The donkey diligently looks. Maybe not even that diligently. It's, it's peeping, just sort of like, with one eye, a little bit of curiosity. I think it takes a little bit of curiosity at least to call forth this response. Peeps into the well and sees deep darkness, like vast space. Then as its donkey eye starts to adjust to the deep darkness, that sees a bit hazy. It's dark down there, but it sees itself reflected in the water at the bottom of the well. I say wonderful elder de, what a great spontaneous metaphor. Like this clumsy creature, it's a little bit curious, looking into the deep dark well, but what's at the bottom it actually sees is itself reflected there. The Buddha's true reality body uh, looks like this very experience at the bottom of a dark well, in appearing in the darkness of now. And uh, the commentators comment on this uh, line. He said something like, um, well, if I was there and I was asked that question, I would just stand in Shashu, approach Shan, and say yes. Commentators say, that's how I would uh, express the principle of response. So you might consider if you were asked this question, how would you express this principle of response the way that the, the, this inconceivable reality body responds to beings? That's a nice um, Zen enactment, simpler and not so metaphorical. Then um, Shan says, well said, you said a lot there but you only said 80%. This is some a phrase they sometimes use in these Zen stories, like pretty good, but like, can we take it further? Can, can, this, can, can more be expressed here? Can we bring, can we, it's such a great conversation we're having. Can we keep it going? Can we take it deeper? Pretty good, but it's only 80% what you said. What's missing? That's what De, Elder De, as his friend. Well, how would you say it, teacher? How would you express it? And Cao Zhan says, playing with his friend's metaphor, it's like the well looking at the donkey. Elder De says it's like the donkey looking at the well. And Cao Zhan kind of caps it off and completes the 100% by saying it's, I would say it's like the well looking at the donkey. 
he couldn't have said that if his friend didn't say it's like a donkey looking at the well. So together, they make 100%. And, uh, my teacher, old Buddha Tenching, when commenting on the story, he said, it's not so much that, um, that uh, Du's response is, is um, 80% and Shang's is 100%. They're actually both 80%. If it said it's like a well looking at the donkey, that's only 80% too. So you always need the other side. So together they could make 100% uh, expression. It's not like either one is better or worse. It's just completing the story. Like the donkey peeping into the well. Like the well peeping at the donkey. And uh, the commentator Wan Song's verses to celebrate these two lines for the donkey looking at the well, the poetic verse is the falling flowers consciously go along with the flowing stream. Picture uh, uh, the cherry blossoms over a stream falling off the tree into the stream. The falling flowers consciously or intentionally accord with, follow the flowing stream. And the verse for the well looks at the donkey is the flowing stream mindlessly carries the fallen flowers. It's two ways of looking at the same event. You could say these particular unique individual flowers falling into the stream when they, um, when they meet this beginningless, endless stream, from one perspective, you could say, they consciously, intentionally try to accord with the stream of reality. And uh, the other side of the story is that the stream of reality mindlessly, with no mind at all, with no intention, uh, carries the fallen flowers along. You see how this is two sides. One is kind of making a little bit effort to peep, to look for the Dharmakaya, like old Buddha Linji once said, um, there's a true person of no position, constantly moving in and out through the portals of your face. And if you haven't seen her yet, then look. That's the, the meditation instruction of Linji in that case. If you haven't seen this true person, it's another name for the Dharmakaya, then look. Where do we look for space? Just have to be open because we're not going to see it as some thing. But it's, it's a practice of looking. We don't look outward. We don't exactly look inward. We don't look anywhere. And yet, we open our eyes and peep. So that's one side. That's like the fallen flowers consciously, intentionally follow along with the reality stream. and experience it directly. But then also, the reality stream is mindlessly and intentionlessly carrying the fallen flowers at the same time, with no effort at all. The well doesn't have to make any effort to look at the donkey. So it's, that's a little bit like, uh, like Dongshan, Shan, teacher Dongshan, 
Hickman said, you are not it. In truth, it is you. This also uh, expresses the principle of response, much like the uh, well looks at the donkey. Uh, so, Dogen Zenji, uh, very much like this metaphor of the moon reflecting in the water. And uh, he went so far as to say, awakening, satori, awakening, understanding, realization, is like the moon reflected in the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. It's a little bit like um, many centuries before uh, uh, Dogen said that um, the Tiantai founder, Juri, also was playing with the same metaphor. And he said, it's, the water doesn't rise up into the sky, nor does the moon descend to the water. Yet, this one moon in a single instant is manifest in all bodies of water. Buddhas and sentient beings are united through the openness of sentient beings and the response of Buddhas. In Japanese, we say kano doko. Openness and response merging. So, um, old Tiantai Juri uh, said that you don't have to bring the water up to the moon and the moon doesn't have to come down to the water without moving a particle. Uh, there is this meeting. So Dogen says, the moon does not get wet nor is the water broken. I think it's kind of similar to this. The moon is reflected in the water, but the moon doesn't get wet by the, by the experience of tension in the belly. That doesn't wet the moon. And the tension in the belly, this, this water pool, tension in the belly, doesn't get broken by the moon either. Dogen says, although the moon's light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment. Satori does not divide you just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder this enlightenment just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. In other words, the particular size, shape, time, and flavor of this present experience is the um, exact size of the moon reflected in it. So the whole entire Dharmakaya moon is reflected in a tiny little um, nitpicky experience. And it's completely reflected in a big, vast experience. Every experience is completely um, encompasses the entire Dharmakaya moon. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon is a great line to meditate on from Dogen. Not only that, but however long or short its duration, each reflection manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. So even if you feel like you get some glimpse of understanding just for a moment. That's a very short duration of time, but the entire um, Dharmakaya is reflected completely in that short duration. Even one moment of zazen uh, completely includes everything. 
And uh, lastly, I just to, just to throw this in, um, uh, there's some story floating around that um, this Chinese character for donkey is very similar to the Chinese character for pulley. I mean, that, that's, that's a story that's widespread. If you look at these two characters, they, they're very similar, but not the same. But the, the story that's floating around is that um, some older versions of this koan, maybe originally the story said pulley, and then later um, copiers, you know, made a transcription error and put down the character for donkey instead of pulley. And very different, but um, but my teacher in in um, in his third turning of the wheel book brings up this story, and um, he translates it as pulley, based on this on this possibility that that in really ancient times the original dialogue was talking about a pulley looking at a well and a well looking at a pulley. So here the pulley we could say is like is you know at the top of the well. Um, and it has, you know, the rope and the bucket, and uh, so this whole uh, this whole apparatus of pulley, wheel, and bucket is like the sentient being calling forth the Dharmakaya by lowering this bucket into the deep dark well to scoop up some Dharmakaya, and uh, and meanwhile the Dharmakaya is happily to happy to just flow into the bucket when the bucket's lowered deep down. So it's a whole different sort of image in a way, and yet it's not that different really. It's still the principle of response to the peeping of a donkey or to the lowering of a bucket on a long rope when it feels like our, we're at the end of our rope and we still, it still hasn't reached the Dharmakaya. We can call our friends, maybe they have some extra rope, we can tie it on there and lower it even deeper. So uh, that's today's story. And as always in the world of sentient beings, it always seems to be getting late. But that, I don't know if we have, do we have time for a few questions? Yes, Corinne. Hi, thank you. Um, I was just wondering if you could say a little bit more about being open to Buddha. Um, and we heard a lot of metaphors here. So, um, what, what, what exactly is the practice mm -hmm. of being open to Buddha? Yeah, because that's the central practice I, I feel like is being um, offered in this story. And, you know, Buddha's doing Buddha's part, but from our side, our practice is being open to Buddha. Uh, so I think it's partly um, coming into the, the present, what we feel to be the present, especially if we're really kind of obsessing about past or future. I'm open to Buddha because I hear that the Dharmakaya is a name for now. So like, Let's try to line up my, my um, little human now-ness with, um, with the unchanging now-ness. That's kind of an openness. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of a willingness to let go of um, our, you know, our current thought fixation. Uh, but there's so many kinds of openness. So just like relaxing. And also, maybe in, in terms of today's story, we're hearing these strange metaphors and images from these ancient Zen ancestors. I think, to, I think it takes a lot of openness to be willing to hear this kind of, these kind of stories um, and have them turn us 
it's like some of you might might have been thinking, why can't Koku just tell us the practice of just being open? Let's just let's just um, you know how to do that. Why do we have to have all the ancient Chinese metaphors? So I think being open to ancient Chinese metaphors is also part of being open to Buddha because that happens to be the experience that's happening um, at this time. So if if um, ancient Chinese metaphors are like flying at us. Um, and at that time in the back, the openness to that would be like, I don't really understand why they're saying it this way. And it seems like it's overly complicated, but like, I'm just gonna try to be open to it or uh, open. And another one might be, um, yeah, just curiosity, right? Like, like the donkey that happens to see a well over there and it's been eating the grass all day. Um, but this is something different. There's like a hole in the ground. And they could just ignore it because that doesn't look like there's no grass to eat in that hole. So why bother with that little bit of curiosity? Like, let's check it out is, is uh, another kind of openness. I love, I feel like they're, they're good I don't know how to play like they do, so I feel like I have to learn how to look. <laughs> you know, that's. Um, but I love hearing them, and I, I have deep, deep gratitude for you sharing them. Yeah, how how to look? Sometimes the stories just like warm us up. To um, maybe maybe that's one way of of talking a little bit rationally about these old Zen stories is they um, they help us open because they're so unusual. They can help us open because they're so unusual and they, they kind of keep our attention and we might, we might want a more streamlined practical instruction. But uh, if we just that wanting the streamlined practical um, kind of quick fix or something is maybe not always that open. Right? So this is like, let's, um, can we, if we're open to these strange stories and then open to like, the comments on them and then the comments and the comments and like to be pretty open and patient is kind of similar to open and uh maybe that's part of the trick part of the design of <laughs> these um streams and stories is they they help open us and also maybe they hope they open part of our being that's not just the rational mind I think they do. I find they help that way because they, because they don't always sound so rational. Rational is good sometimes too. We should be open to rational, like Nagarjuna's um, hair-splitting logic, very different mood than Zen koans. Um, that would be good to open to when it's coming at us. And so would... Um, um, somebody just coming up and standing in shashu in front of us and saying, yes. Sometimes that's hard to open to. Yeah, well, what do you mean? What do you want? Open to, to um, ready, curious, patient with the present experience. Yes, thank you. Oh, Tracy. Hello, Kokyo, and thank you, Jikoji, for hosting Kokyo and all of us. Can I offer a half-baked metaphor? It aspires to maybe 40%. Today's the first day of summer, right? Oh, happy summer. Yeah, yes. is that right? So today's the solstice, right? Yes, the solstice, that's right. In so the human not, world. In the human world, in the Northern hemisphere, it's that's right. the solstice, sun still, right? Sun stands still. Or the sun appears to stand still at its highest point in the course of the year in the Northern hemisphere, 
that we call the beginning of summer. So in other words, we're receiving the most amount of sunlight or serene luminescence that sentient beings in the Northern hemisphere <laughs> are going to, going to receive. Is this is our opportunity today. today. Today is the day, yes. And if, if we happen to um, write about now, write about like noontime, um, we could go out and um, peep into a well and it may be that the sun is directly over the well. So at this one time of right now, we can look down and instead of seeing damp darkness, we'll see radiant blazing light at the bottom of the well. And ourselves reflected in it, absorbed completely in that full expression of the sun filling the bottom of the well. Thank you. I well think said. Go ahead. That's 90%. 90. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> you want to know how I would say it? The sun from the bottom of the well leaps up to the uh, highest heaven of Akanishka. And on its way up, it drops all its sunbeams all over the earth, uh, cooling the hot fires of summer with its radiant light. Thank you all for your... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.